Hello and welcome to the CND podcast. I'm CND's editor Beth Kennedy and you're listening to A Coffee With, a podcast series where I sit down with some of pharmacy's most inspirational women to chat about their career highs and lows, their aspirations and fears, and everything in between. Every episode, I'll be talking to a different woman in pharmacy to find out what makes them tick, some words of wisdom, and the piece of advice they wish they'd been given at the start of their career. So, pour yourself a cuppa and get ready to join me for the latest instalment of A Coffee With. My guest today is Deborah Evans, a pharmacist and managing director of Pharmacy Complete, a company offering training, strategic advice and market insights to pharmacies, pharmacy organisations, the NHS, public health and pharmaceutical companies. Deborah also sits on CND's Women in Pharmacy board. In a pharmacy career spanning 35 years, Deborah has held management roles in pharmacy, consulted for the pharmaceutical industry and, notably, led the national award-winning Healthy Living Pharmacy Pathfinder Work Programme, initially project managing the acclaimed Portsmouth HLP pilot. Today, we'll be talking about Deborah's experience of being a woman in pharmacy, from how she got to this point in her career, to all the stumbling blocks she encountered along the way. Welcome, Deborah, and thanks for joining me. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Beth. So let's start off by talking about how you got started in pharmacy. What made you want to study pharmacy in the first place? Well, Beth, I wish I could say it was a kind of real passion and desire to work in profession, but I knew very little about it. I was doing science A-levels and was being encouraged to do medicine. I was being told to do medicine. And at that time, as a fairly headstrong 18-year-old, I didn't like being told what to do. And I don't think anything (laughs) anything has changed. And so it was actually, and I can't believe I'm going to say it was actually a boyfriend going to a university the year above me. No, with women in pharmacy chat. (laughs) I know, I know. And he was doing geology at Nottingham University And I thought, gosh, how am I going to get to Nottingham University? So I kind of looked through the prospectus, didn't want to do a pure science, saw that they did pharmacy. And I thought, gosh, I don't know anything about that. That sounds interesting. Go for it. And I did. So there we go. Completely serendipitous and not at all planned. So how did you find that when you actually got to the course? Did you just fall in love with it? You know, what was really interesting to me was taking those sciences and applying them. I have to say, of course, at Nottingham back then, and we are talking 1982, so it's an awful (laughs) long time ago, was very pure, very industry-based, actually. I thought at that stage that I wanted to work in industry. I was quite ambitious, so that's appealed to me for going to Nottingham. Was it what I wanted? I knew so little about it that I kind of just opened my self to what it offered and some of it I liked and some of it I didn't like and just got my head down and kept going at it. In those days it was very much felt like an extension of school and I think things have changed now as I've seen my own children go through university but certainly I was on the sausage machine and wasn't really very conscious of the decision that I'd made and what a difference that would make to my career. I'd like to say it was really strategic, but it wasn't Beth at all. <laughs> it wasn't. Once you actually had finished at Nottingham and you'd done your pre-reg year and, and everything like that, what did you do next? So I actually did my pre-reg in industry, which was fairly unusual at the time. I did a split industry hospital 
pre-reg, which was really good to do because I got the opportunity to be exposed to lots of different things, both in the hospital environment and in industry. And at that point was being encouraged to do a PhD to go on and do further research in industry. But actually, it was the commercial side of the business that really appealed to me. So again, being told to go and do something was something that I rebelled against and decided (laughs) to take my new pharmacy degree in registration and work in community pharmacy. It was very much retail pharmacy back then rather than community pharmacy. And I, my first job was in an independent pharmacy in the East End, Bethnal Green Road, and it could not have been further from my expectation of what pharmacy was about. And I was really ill-equipped as well because I had what I would call a really academic degree a pre-reg in industry and hospital. And there I was let loose on the public in this little pharmacy in, in Bethnal Green Road. Was it what I expected to be? Not at all. I know that you've worked sort of with the pharmaceutical industry on the side as well. And basically there's not much in pharmacy that you haven't had a hand in, I would say, looking at your kind of potted career history. But what about community has made you stick around? Well, actually I've been in and then I was out for 12 years before coming back in again. So I spent about five years in community pharmacy, had two of my children and really enjoyed it. We enjoyed the business management side of things as well as the engagement with patients and then did a marketing diploma and looked at where I could potentially apply that. So that's when I went back into the industry. So I worked with GlaxoSmithKline in sales and marketing for 12 years. Didn't have anything very much to do with pharmacy other than I was working within a a healthcare company and was engaging with the whole of the healthcare system right away across the NHS, as well as primary and secondary care, and really championed pharmacy, actually, in my time within GSK, worked on their trading strategy, as well as working as an account manager with pharmacists for about two and a half years. But when it came time for that part of my career to end was when I started to relook at community pharmacy. So I did a return to practice course, set up my consultancy company, and for probably about six to 12 months, had a parallel kind of two-track approach to my work. So I was doing some local work, was getting engaged in local politics with the LPC, and at the same time was doing consultancy to the industry. And then the two started to merge, and it made sense for them to merge. So to apply my knowledge of pharmacy and help the industry in terms of what they were doing. Okay. And the consultancy that you're talking about, is that Pharmacy Complete? At the time, it wasn't called Pharmacy Complete, the parent companies, the Tipping Point Limited, but over the years, yeah, a rebranding and thinking about what it was that we offered led to Pharmacy Complete. And during that time, I've done lots of things, you know, including being a postgraduate tutor with CPPE, working as the director of pharmacy at the MPA, a stint on the Royal Pharmaceutical Society's English board, and of course, as you mentioned earlier, leading the Healthy Living Pharmacy Project, initially locally in Portsmouth and then nationally in the National Pathfinder Programme. So I've had fantastic opportunity to work and touch lots of different parts of the system. Thoroughly enjoyed it. The HLP thing is a massive, it's huge because now it's part of quality payment scheme. It's become so, so mainstream. How did it feel to work on something that's become so integral to community pharmacy in the contract? 
I think, Beth, it's one of those things that is a real kind of defining moment when I look back on it. And at the time, it felt like a really important piece of work. And it felt important for a number of reasons. The first is health and well-being is something that I'm hugely passionate about. I've lost both of my parents prematurely because of conditions that were modifiable, both heavy smokers, both overweight, dad with diabetes. And so that's led me to choose a different path and look after myself and to make sure that I do everything I can to influence others to to make some of those changes. And so that was a cause that was really important to me. And I was working with the local pharmaceutical committee. We had an opportunity to work with a really sort of forward-thinking director of public health and lead a piece of work in Portsmouth. And it just felt like I could apply some of the industry principles of leading a project, but also influencing a much broader range of stakeholders to put Portsmouth on the map. And that's all about creating the evidence and putting in place something that was more about change management than it was simply implementing a service or a broader system-wide service. It was looking at it in a much more strategic way. So it felt important from the get-go. Therefore, we put things in place to make sure that we could influence more broadly. And of course, we had support from funding from the government, working with DHSC as it was, and and then a role within Public Health England. So yeah, it's just one of those initiatives that the timing was right, I suppose. And to have it now embedded in the contractual framework as part of people's terms of service, that feels like a real achievement. This isn't about me. This is about many, many people across the country working hard to embed the concept within their pharmacies and pharmacy organisations signing up to it. That was a pivotal time when they all signed up to the concept. So yes, it just all came together. It actually brings me rather nicely to my next question, which is about some of your biggest achievements that you felt you've had in your career, of which I'm sure HLP and the development of that was one of them. Is there anything else that you can think of? I really enjoyed my time on the Royal Pharmaceutical Society's English Board, just to understand how in some ways, how difficult it is to affect change at national level. Mm. We've all been frustrated over the years. If I look back over 35 years of pharmacy, in some ways, much has changed. And in other ways, things haven't. And I think working at that level, whether it be within the MPA as Director of Pharmacy or the RPS on the board, you start to understand why it can take a significant amount of time to really make change happen. And I think what we've seen during the pandemic, not just within pharmacy, but broader than that, is change accelerated. And consumers are driving that. You know, we're seeing that because, you know, if we put our consumer hat on, we've changed our behaviours. And I think that will affect the landscape for healthcare forever. Something that I really wanted to touch with you is what some of the challenges that you face. You've achieved all of these amazing things and you've done so much over the years in in the sector but it's not easy and I wondered what those experiences of challenge and opposition you'd come up against and how being a woman in pharmacy had affected that did it affect it was it a factor for you this is when I sort of feel my age really (laughs) inside I'm still a 25 year old but I'm not so I'm 56 and It was a very different world that I grew up in. And that's no way an excuse or defense. It just simply was Mm. different. 
So I wasn't particularly conscious of being a woman in that situation. I just got on with things, got my head down, worked hard. I've always worked hard and always been stimulated by a challenge and not happy with the status quo. So that's just something about me. And obviously, don't like being told what to do, which is the common theme that's going through this. But did I feel that I was particularly discriminated against during my career? No, not really at the beginning, for sure. But I think some of that was about just accepting how things were. And I think as we've become more aware about what isn't acceptable, then you start to think more about some of those challenges. And certainly I have been in those meetings where people make sexist comments. I think one of the most frustrating experiences that I've had, and this is going to come up again, I suspect, is being in a room with predominantly men and them repeating back what you said about five, 10 minutes ago as their idea. And you're just like, I said that 10 minutes ago, but clearly you weren't listening to me. And, you know, I suppose there's an element of, well, at least, (laughs) at least they're saying and agree. (laughs) But, you know, please don't do that. Please don't do that. Any men listening, please do not do that. Yeah, and women in that matter, no one should be doing it. Nobody should be doing it. But it is unfortunately something that myself and my female colleagues, we talk about a lot. Please just take note that we've all got something that's worth listening to. Maybe there are a lot of men out there that feel the same, actually. But I'm just talking about my perspective, that I've come across that a lot. And I've also been on the receiving end of some bullying from a man so that wasn't very pleasant that was a very stressful experience in my career where I started to question myself and you know my abilities which is the first time that had really happened but this person was known for his manipulation of women and sort of building them up and then dropping them down again and that wasn't very pleasant at all. You said that you began to doubt yourself. I think that's a very common thing for women to experience, that feeling of imposter syndrome. Is that something that you've had at other points in your career? Actually, no, not really. That was the main time when I had it. And I was particularly vulnerable. My mother had just died and, you know, I'd been sick myself for about three months. So, yeah, I wasn't in the best of places, either physically, emotionally, mentally. So, yeah, I definitely started to question myself. And I really had to build myself back up again. But most of the time, I've tended to work on the facts. We all question ourselves, right? We all think, you know, I might have bitten off a bit more than I can chew. Maybe, you know, why have they chosen me? I guess those thoughts go through my mind. But then I quickly go back to the evidence. Okay, look at what you have achieved. Look at what you've done. You've been in this position before where you felt overwhelmed or you felt like, oh my God, I don't know where to start with this. Can I do it? And you've always managed it. So I think the more you can build that little bank of achievement and just reassure yourself that you have actually done it before and you will get through it, blag it or whatever, or or actually just break it down, break it into more manageable chunks, then yeah. That's how I deal with that. But I'm not a big sufferer of it. I know colleagues, I've mentored women 
who really do suffer with imposter syndrome and I absolutely get it but it's not something that has worried me overly and maybe it's natural to have a little bit of that because it just sharpens the saw a little bit and makes you think come on you can do this but what do you need to be able to do this and make sure you kind of prepare yourself a bit more perhaps. I find it really interesting as well that you, a few years ago, now set up a Women in Pharmacy Facebook group. What do you think is missing from pharmacy? What do you think it needs that it's not getting at the moment that we do need these spaces like your Facebook group and our C&D community women pharmacy platform? Because there'll be a lot of people potentially listening to this who will say, what about men in pharmacy? Why do women in the profession need these spaces? So what's missing, Beth, and it's got worse, I think, rather than better, is women in senior positions in pharmacy. Still got too many men versus women. And that's a broader diversity and equality discussion. It's not just about gender. Because I really do believe, and all the evidence shows this to be true, that the more diversity we have in decision making, the better the outcome. And that's where I'm coming from. This is not about having a certain number of women. This is about let's have a representative group of leaders leading our sector and profession. And we don't have that at the moment. And so if you're a white male of a certain age, you will have a set of perspectives and experiences that will be similar to other white men of a certain age and just the same as if you're a white female of a certain age it's just we're a kind of manufactured based on our experiences and our upbringings and what we've been exposed to our thinking it's all very complex but we know that to be true and if we haven't got the diversity at that senior level then we won't get the representation of the profession and sector and we know that the profession is now majority female We also know that we don't have the ethnicity representation that we should have for the profession and sector, and that's not right. So I set up Women in Pharmacy specifically to look at the gender issue and to look at how we can support each other to get more representation at more senior level to be able to mentor other female pharmacists. And if men want to set up a men in pharmacy group, go ahead. That's absolutely (laughs) stopping you. But... We just simply don't have female representation at the senior levels that we should do to make good decisions. Alongside their male colleagues, you know, this is going to sound like it's got to be all women. No, that's not right either. It's got to be a good mix. And what hasn't happened, and this is real frustration, is we haven't got all organisations working together to achieve this. And we need it. What are some of the issues that have come up a lot, especially in the past year during the COVID-19 pandemic, that you've had a lot of women on that Facebook group voice? So I asked a question of the group a few months ago, actually, to really unpick how women had managed during this pandemic period. And what we found was women very close to breaking in terms of the pressure that they'd been put under at work, the pressure at home to keep things going, homeschooling, chores, the usual things. And we know, again, from research during the pandemic, that women have taken on more than their fair share. 
of the domestic duties, the homeschooling, and they've had hugely demanding workloads because of the pandemic. So I would say some really quite heartfelt stories from people that really hit home in terms of the impact the pandemic had had on those women. But the Women in Pharmacy group is also typically pharmacists getting together, talking about stuff like COVID vaccination and, you know, medicines, drugs, side effects, you know, all of that good stuff. There's a lot of that that goes on. And that's great to see. There's jobs that people share, you know, looking for technicians, pharmacists, people to support. And we've got about 16% who work in other countries around the globe. So it isn't just simply around UK pharmacists. And we have pharmacists working across different sectors as well. So there's some good networking that goes on in terms of, you know, different, you know, community pharmacists potentially accessing resources that their primary care colleagues would or hospital colleagues would know about. So there's a lot of help that goes on. It's very typically supportive. Yeah, it's a space for people to raise each other up rather than tear each other down. Who is a woman in pharmacy that you particularly admire and why? So over the years, mentored Rena Barai. I hugely admire Rena for lots of different reasons. Always supremely positive, an outstanding pharmacist, working in an independent pharmacy to do the best for her community and patients. And she has put her head above the parapet, which is what leadership is about and being counted. And she's worked really hard to get on the board of the MPA. Rena's definitely somebody who springs to mind, but there are many, many others, Beth, that do. I really admire the work of Claire Howard, who you may remember was Deputy Chief Pharmacist working with Keith. Claire is diligently working behind the scenes, doing some really great work with the NHS and will continue to make a difference whilst raising a family. Sarah Billington, who's head of medicines at CQC, who will always say it as it is, and I admire that. So yes, lots and lots of women doing great work. But you know what stands out about the women that I admire is that they want to do the best they can because it's the right thing to do. Lack of ego, It's not about positional power. It's not about the kudos that goes with that. It's doing great work because that work needs to be done and for the right reasons. And that sits very comfortably with my values. So let's go back to the Deborah at the start of her career. What one piece of advice do you wish that you'd been given starting out? Yeah, well, would I have taken it though, Beth? (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, you probably would have done the opposite. We should work out what the opposite of the advice would be. Yeah, Um, and I wonder why I've raised strong-willed daughters. I think one of the things that I have learned over the years is the importance of grabbing development opportunities when you have them. One of the things that I am very passionate about is training and development and supporting people to be leaders. It wasn't until I joined the industry that I was exposed to that kind of development. I didn't have any exposure to any sort of training or development when I was first qualified. And I think now 
the reason I've been able to do the things that I've been able to do is because I have worked on that and I've been put on courses and I've grabbed things along the years. But I probably didn't make as much of that as I could have done. So when I was in industry in my sort of late 20s and 30s, I had four children, young children, and therefore any sort of extracurricular time was taken up with bringing up a family. And so I tended to do what was either handed to me on a plate or mandatory. And I look back on that now and think, gosh, there were so many other opportunities I could have grabbed for development that I didn't. Now, one could argue that I didn't have time. Yeah, it sounds like it. (laughs) I was struggling as it was to manage all of that. But certainly, yeah, I would say any opportunity to get developed, then grab it. If that's what you want to do, not everybody wants to push their career and keep progressing. But if you do, then I would say, and particularly if somebody else is paying for it, then yeah, absolutely take, yeah, it, then take it with both hands. So if there's some leadership training or, you know, softer skills training, as well as clinical training, you know, a, the future of the pharmacy has got to be independent prescribing. So if you have access to that, I'd love to do an independent prescribing course. It's going to cost me several thousand pounds. So if you have the opportunity to have it funded, do it. Yeah. There's no downside. That's a piece of advice. And I guess something that's probably more relevant to kind of pushing the women in pharmacy agenda is perhaps to have spoken up a little bit more when things weren't right. Do you think you would do that now, though? If, if, say, you'd been training now or at the start of your career now, do you think it it is a matter of times changing? Or do you think it's just being a young woman is sometimes, I feel, easier to not speak up than to speak up? Gosh, it's an interesting question, isn't it? Maybe I would say this anyway, but I think in present time, it's more acceptable to call things out. It certainly wasn't when I was younger. You know, it would be a career-limiting step if you called out any bad behaviours. Sort of a put-up-and-shut-up situation. Yeah, it goes back to what was acceptable back then. Acceptable, as in normal behaviour. Again, when I listen to my, you know, my, my daughters, they don't suffer fools gladly. If they're not happy with something, they'll say something about it. And, you know, I admire that. Yes, I think I would call some things out now, but it's it's difficult, isn't it? You, you know, we, we want to be, you know, nice. Yes, that horrible word, nice. <laughs> you want to be nice and, you know, you have to think very carefully about how you position things and how you raise things. And, I, you know, and that's right. That's right. You know, you shouldn't just react, but respond in a more considered way. But I think, yeah, my tolerance for that and awareness of that is very different to how it was when I was younger. It's that horrible thing, isn't it, when you have the perfect reply, you wake up in the middle of the night, two days later, and you've got the perfect reply to something. But at the time, you just smile because you don't know what else to do. I know, exactly. And and, and maybe we're, <laughs> we're all a bit like that. And maybe the guys feel like that too. I don't know. So yeah, I think grab all the opportunities. And if you're not happy about something, if your gut is telling you something's not right, then it probably isn't. So what do you need to do about it? Take some action. 
So what do you think needs to happen to the pharmacy profession to make it a more equitable place for women? So on a really practical level, I would like to see the organisations all committing to changing this, really committing, not just giving lip service to it, but saying, you know, we want to see more diversity at senior level because it's the right thing to do and it will give us better results, outcomes, representation. And therefore, in order to be able to achieve that, we need to do X, Y, and Z within our organisation to make that happen. We need to measure it. We need to report on it. We need to commit to it. And we've seen that movement in other professions, such as the legal profession. So we can do it. The actual support to help women in those positions will look very different for different individuals. You know, is it the support that they need to develop? Is it that they need help with childcare options and flexible working arrangements? It could be a whole host of different things, more mentoring, more specific support for women, because we work in different ways. We think in different ways in some respects. So therefore, what development and support do we need that's perhaps specific to what we might need? You know, if we're looking for one silver bullet that's going to magically get women into senior positions, it's not there. It's a kind of concerted, system-wide, strategic approach, but with people really committing to it. Unless we have some significant male champions, it's not going to happen because we haven't got the women in the senior positions making that call. Any men listening, if you want to be a women in pharmacy champion, we would love to have you. Absolutely. And and actually, we can't do this alone. It's not us women burning our bras and <laughs> standing up and saying we don't mean men. You know, quite the opposite. We need men and women to be working together to achieve this because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Not because yeah. we want certain numbers, it's the right thing to do. So I think we've covered quite a lot of this over the discussion, but the theme of International Women's Day this year is choose to challenge. What behaviours are you going to choose to challenge over the next few months? Going back to something I mentioned earlier is what I understand is called, and I only heard it for the first time last week, heap-eating. So not heap-eating, yes. it's the heap-eating. So if I'm in a situation where a male colleague is repeating something I said 10 minutes ago and claiming it as an innovative novel thought and then there'll be a little challenge going back and actually I will also challenge women who don't think they can do something because you can mm. if you think you can't then you're probably right that lovely phrase isn't it if you think you can or you think you can't then you're probably right you know and it is really saying come on come on you can do it and giving whomever needs that support the support that they need to do it but yeah get on with it make it happen wise words to end on i think thank you so much deborah for taking the time out i've really really enjoyed talking to you and i think there's excellent words of advice and words of wisdom in there so thank you ever so much and can't wait to work on some more women in pharmacy initiatives with you in the future absolute pleasure beth thank you That was Deborah Evans, a pharmacist and managing director of the consultancy company Pharmacy Complete. 
Today, we talked about how Deborah started her career in pharmacy, the women in pharmacy that she looks up to, and what behaviours she's choosing to challenge this year as part of an International Women's Day campaign. For more news and updates on CND's Women in Pharmacy group, please check out the CND community and chemistandruggist.co.uk for regular updates. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.